Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today's guest is Kelly McGonagall once again, who you will recently have heard us talk about the upside of stress on the last episode of. So doesn't need much of an introduction, but as a reminder, she's not only a pioneer in the field of science help, but she's also a best-selling author of multiple books. But today we are going to talk about her favorite topic in the world, cats. No, I'm joking. <laughs> movement and exercise. Um, if you had to pick, though, is is it movement first and then then cats? Oh, gosh, don't tell my cats. Tough, right? Yes, it is tough in part because, you know, based on now what I know about how deeply embedded movement is in every aspect of our biology, it's like every single cell in your body, it's as if it were designed to thrive from movement I honestly can't think of anything we can choose to do that has a bigger impact on our physical and mental well-being. So I love my cats, but I will choose exercise. You'll be pleased to know we we developed, uh, you know, after a lot of science papers, reading, etc. We designed uh, 10 pillars of brain care and movement was our exercise version. And when anyone asks me what my number one tip is on anything, because people do, because I'm very interested in studying the brain and and sharing it. Um, I always say movement, but I'm quite careful to say movement, not exercise, because... It's tough. Well, let's discuss it, but I will tell you why. And I feel like that's because on the spectrum of what people will do, I think it's it's possible to convince anyone to go for a 10-minute walk. Um, but it's not easy to get everyone to do 30 minutes of hit an hour, whatever. So Okay, although to be fair, a 10-minute walk or a 10-minute push if you're in a chair, that's still exercise. So exercise technically is movement that's done for the benefits of movement. And movement is using your body to engage with life. Okay, so you, you're big on definitions. So your one-sentence definition of movement then would be? Oh, engaging with life through our bodies. I'm really talking about moving whatever parts of your body still move across the lifespan. We know that people who are more physically active through activities that can be defined as leisure or everyday ordinary activities of getting around, like like you know walking for transportation, getting to work, to work uh, anything other than hard physical labor, I think is actually kind of important to point this out because if you're interested in mental health, it's different than physical health. If you're interested in the mental health benefits of of movement, it's really the stuff that people are choosing to do that has the biggest benefits. And often it's things that people do either in nature or with other people. This is like the two really big things that amplify the mental health benefits of movement. But so movement is just, you know, it's engaging, it's engaging with life through your body. It's not dependent on size or losing weight. It's not dependent on achieving a certain health status, and it's not necessarily in service of fixing or improving your body. And of course, that's slightly different as well, again, to the benefits of movement for your brain's health. Yeah. So, okay. So I will start with what I think is the most interesting um, thing for people to know about how exercise affects the brain. Actually, two things. One, first of all, 
your brain is like a muscle in that it takes time to adapt to exercise to get all the benefits of it. So if you are listening to this and you think you hate exercise and you've never spent six weeks of your life dedicated to movement that gets your heart rate up, that challenges you in some way, you actually don't know yet whether or not you love exercise because just like your muscles take time to get stronger, your heart takes time to get stronger when you exercise, your brain adapts to movement. So that's one thing that people should actually understand, that your brain adapts to movement in ways that make you enjoy it more, that make it more meaningful, and that make it easier. But the real benefits in terms of brain health uh, is that exercise changes your brain in ways that make you more resilient, resilient to stress, to trauma, to things like depression and anxiety, but also to things like age-related changes in brain health, things like dementia and Alzheimer's disease and cognitive decline and Parkinson's disease. And exercise also changes your brain in ways that make you more sensitive to joy, to pleasure, to positive motivation, and especially to social connection. So we're talking about not just changing some brain chemicals, which it does. So, you know, as soon as you exercise, you're going to have an increase in things like endorphins and endocannabinoids and dopamine that boost your mood and help you connect with other people. But more importantly to me is that we're talking about changing the structure of your brain um, in ways that make you more resilient and make you more sensitive to joy. And again, the analogy that I would encourage people to, to take is you know that your body will change when you exercise. Strength training is a perfect example of that. You lift heavy things, your body gets better at lifting heavy things. What's so interesting is that the way that your brain adapts to exercise is, or to, to movement that is sustained and that, you know, that challenges you in some way. The way that your brain adapts to that is it's like it, it says to itself, we're alive. We have to get better at being alive. So I'm gonna help you think better. I'm gonna help you learn faster. I'm gonna help you be a more social version of yourself. I'm gonna keep you motivated. And if you are recovering from stuff that's really hard, like depression, grief, addiction, trauma, I'm gonna help you move forward. That's what the brain takes from physical training. Actually, there's two things you touched on, which, uh, you know, prompted me to think about this. The first is, you know, you talked about uh, you don't know if you're into exercise, if you haven't really tried it. So perfect example here is in the pandemic. I don't really like cycling because I never learned it when I was younger, but I got a Peloton in the pandemic because I know enough about brain science to know that even if I don't like it now, I know that I will like it once I've done it for six weeks, I'll probably think it's the best thing ever by then. And if it's sitting here in my living room, I basically got to do it because it's expensive. Genius worked. I mean, I go on my Peloton most days and thrilled with that decision. But like me last year or two years ago, whatever, saying that to me today would laugh at that person. One of the things I recently read an article in a major US paper, I forget which one, and they were saying that if you want to fall in love with some form of, of movement, I think she was talking about running, you have to give up your cynicism. Because like the thing that gets you through is you just have to embrace all those aspects of human nature that, that we really turn to in difficult times, like wanting to feel connected to something bigger than ourselves. So anyways, we're, I think Peloton is really good at this because first of all, they use music to empower. And we know that music is incredibly empowering. First of all, it makes movement feel better. It makes movement easier. It gives us that, that burst of adrenaline and dopamine and endorphins that movement can. It's like a wonderful amplification of that. It has meaning, like we can sing lyrics and feel like an incredible version of ourselves. Peloton is also harnessing social connection and that group effect. And they are telling you 
that you are demonstrating strengths by persisting at this workout, which is, you know, it is not in and of itself a meaningful thing. The other thing that you you mentioned uh, almost in passing, but so interesting is um, about how exercise can be used to battle depression and anxiety. I mean, there's so many ways. So I know we let's start with the brain, but also I, let me just sort of hold in the greater context. The metaphor is really meaningful for a lot of people. I can't tell you how many how many individuals I spoke to who would say things like, "I was depressed." And knowing that I could put one foot in front of the other when everything in my brain was telling me to give up and quit, this isn't worth it, that is what gave them the strength to ask for help, go to therapy, choose to live another day. So there's something very important about the meaning that we make out of the movement we choose. But let's talk a little bit about the brain. So two things that I'll say that I think are really interesting. One is a lot of people who deal with depression and anxiety find tremendous relief in being active in nature. And there's this new emerging research that suggests that when you're active in a natural environment where you feel relatively safe, so that's be one that you enjoy, like do not put me in the wilderness in the woods or ask me to like climb mountains, I'll be terrified. I mean, maybe I could, so that's where I need to start making meaning out of the metaphor of it. But like, if you want just the, the nature effect, the green exercise effect, a natural environment where you, you feel kind of inspired, you feel welcomed, or you're intrigued by the environment you're in, it shifts the brain into a state that looks a lot like what you see in very experienced meditators. And it like it forces a kind of mindfulness that shuts down, for many people, the most cruel verbal aspects of anxiety or depression. And then uh, another sort of very direct link to the brain is this thing called hope molecules, which I've been trying to turn into like something that's in everyday language. We know that your muscles are more than like meat on your body that pulls bones around. Your muscles are like pharmacies. They actually manufacture all of these chemicals that they store in your muscles and release into your bloodstream when you move. So when your muscles do what they're supposed to do, when you move or you exercise. And these chemicals are really good for like every aspect of your well-being. So some of these chemicals your muscles make boost your immune system, kill cancer cells, improve your heart health, regulate blood sugar, all that stuff. But a lot of these chemicals that your muscles make and release into your bloodstream when you exercise, they travel to your brain, they can cross the blood-brain barrier, and they act like antidepressants. I mean, like, like literally like antidepressant molecules that also support all the other things we talked about. So when I said that exercise makes you more resilient, helps you learn, prevents neurodegenerative diseases, it's a lot of these same chemicals, which are called myokines. So that, that just means like we have been put into motion by your muscles. So that's an amazing way to think about movement because it points to two things. First of all, that it all works as long as you are using some muscles. It's not like only your biceps can release myokines or only your quadriceps can release myokines. Your muscles that move your body are gonna be capable of doing this. So whatever parts of your body can move and whatever way you wanna move them, you can access this benefit. So the brain benefits of movement are from all forms of movement. And then the second thing that it points to is a way of reframing what movement is. So 
I like to talk about it as being an intravenous dose of hope because some of the first scientists who discovered myokines called them hope molecules because they, they seem to prevent depression caused by chronic or severe stress. Like you could actually put hope into your bloodstream through exercise. So I, I love thinking of it like that. It is so different than how our culture wants us to think about exercise, particularly this obsession with exercise as a form of repenting for what you ate. And how much more pleasurable and meaningful is it to say, I'm gonna give myself an intravenous dose of hope. I guess final question then, you know, how does exercise affect the brain uh, with regards to overcoming stress specifically? Yeah. Well, so some of the things we've talked about, but if you're looking for the immediate effect uh, rather than some of these long-term changes we've talked about, first is to understand that when you move with other people, it creates a brain chemistry that produces, sometimes people call it collective joy, sometimes people call it we agency or muscular bonding. All these names that refer to the idea that when you move with other people, it really increases your sense of belonging, your sense of community. And as we've talked about previously, feeling connected to others, feeling a sense of belonging, being able to help other people, which often happens in movement communities like like a running group or a race or a yoga class, all those things. Moving with other people is a great way to develop that resource that helps us deal with stress, that belonging connection. Also, we know that the exercise high, so if you exercise or move, however you want to define it, at a moderate intensity for at least 20 minutes. So that means you are breathing harder or faster and your heart rate is elevated to some degree. Doesn't mean you're pushing yourself or punishing yourself necessarily. 20 minutes of that and you will have an increase in endocannabinoids and endorphins and dopamine and adrenaline in ways that will immediately make you feel empowered and make you feel better. That's the exercise high. But research shows that that high persists to some degree in actual brain chemistry. So, you know, for hours later, you're gonna see some elevation in, in some of these brain chemicals that keep you in a better mood, that give you more energy, that help you connect with others. But there's also this psychological upward spiral where on days when people are more active than they're usual or they are able to fit in an exercise session, um, stressful things take less of a toll on their well-being. There is this upward spiral. It's one of the reasons why, by the way, I exercise first thing in the day even though I hate mornings and I'm not a morning person and I actually have to drink coffee while I exercise in order to like make it happen, that uh, I believe in that upward spiral effect. I've experienced it. So you don't have to exercise first thing in the day, but if that is available to you, it's again, is another great way to think about what it is you're choosing to do. And that in theory, it's going to make you this better version of yourself and better help you deal with stress for the whole rest of the day. Awesome. Kelly, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, where can people find you? Before I forget a very important disclaimer, where can people follow up on all these brilliant words? KellyMcGonagall.com or on Instagram, I'm Kelly Marie McGonagall. If you want more tips on how to handle stress as shared in today's episode, you can get our free downloadable one-pager guide featuring these tips and some more at yourheights.com forward slash stress. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. 
Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how healthy your brain is, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain health to get your free score from one to a hundred. See you next time. Thank you.